You're listening to the Church of Life and Praise podcast. If you'd like more information about our ministry, please visit us at churchoflifeandpraise.com or check us out on Facebook. Our prayer is that you would come to know Jesus in a deeper way. Now, enjoy the message. Father, we wait upon you. We ask you for grace to look up. We're asking you to mark us this morning. Father, even yesterday as you prepared the soil of the heart, would you transplant seed this morning that would produce abiding fruit? We thank you for your presence that is in this room. We acknowledge your presence in this room. We thank you for coming. We thank you for coming. You don't have to, but you choose to. And we honor you for that. Because without your presence, we are nothing. Like Moses said, it is you among us that makes us be, sets us apart. I just, I just felt like to just take a moment to just honor the presence of Jesus in the room. We honor you. We honor you. We love you so much. It's your love that breaks down and it builds up and it establishes. Paul, Paul prays and he says, I pray that you would know how wide, how deep is the love of Christ. We want to experience that love this morning. Holy Spirit, we give you access. Would you just say that? I give you access. I give you access this morning, Lord Jesus. There's nothing withheld, no door that's closed. We give you access. We ask that you open our eyes, open our ears, and our hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I know why you didn't want to transition the service. You made me do the hard part. <laughs> Thank you guys so much, team. You guys are amazing. Can we just give them a hand? Really is a beautiful worship team. You guys are so blessed. Like, we just love how you guys just linger in the presence and just wait on God. Just so thankful to be here. If you guys were here last night, we just want to thank you. And then, look, you came back. Wow. <laughs> But um, I'm really excited about this morning, even during the worship. It's just amazing. I went home last night, or to the, to the house where we're staying, 
which is our home for three days. And I was telling my wife, I said, you know, I really want to speak about the throne room tomorrow. And I really want to ask God to give us a paradigm for the throne room and what it looks like and means to behold him. And then the whole worship set was about that. I'm like, man, got a little birdie whisper into you. It's amazing. But I'm just, I'm just thankful for, it's so beautiful when the Holy Spirit does that, right? Without anybody talking, he orchestrates the service and he makes it all happen. So I'm just, I'm thankful. I'm excited. And, um, I just love, I, I feel like I was talking to my wife. I just want to say this before I get into the word. We, we just were dialoguing last night, just feeling the immense pleasure of God over you. Like, I just feel like God is so proud of this church. Like when I got here yesterday, um, we minister various places and sometimes you go into a place and God will begin to speak to you and you give a word. But, but when we came here, I just felt like you better honor them and be gentle because these are my people and they're all God's people, but there's just something about a people that are fully given to God where God's like, those are my special ones. And I just felt the fear of the Lord around that. So I just want to release that. God is so proud and he's so blessed by this congregation and the sound and the expression. So thank you guys. It's just, it's beautiful to go to a place where you just feel like God is truly honored. He's truly honored by this house. So um, I want to talk a little bit about beholding the Lord. And I have something I need you to pray about. This is a very serious matter. Probably the most serious thing I'm going to say this morning. I want us to pray together that my wife would see a moose. She's like, I don't care what happens this weekend. I want to see a moose. So I'm like, well, Lord, let there be a moose. So at some point in this trip, let there be a moose in Jesus' name. So you guys can just carry that together with me as family. That we would run across this thing so I can go back to Florida in peace. Amen. So this topic this morning about beholding the Lord is something that's very near and dear to our heart as a community. Like I shared yesterday, we lead a community in Tampa, Florida called Abide Church. And it really sprung up from this place of saying, God, if we can, if we can do anything as a community, we want to learn to abide. We want to learn to live out John 15 in a real way. And not only like a few leaders do that, but a community, a family of people, because that's what we are, right? We are a family. We are a spiritual covenant family pursuing God together. That's what we're doing here. This isn't just a ministry, an organization. We are a kingdom covenant family pursuing God together. And so we began to feel this. What would it look like to live in the context of family, Acts 2, Acts 6, Acts 8 community, where we can pursue God together and ascend the hill of the Lord? And we began to ask these questions. And as we would do that, we would find moments like we just experienced where God would, he would pull everything back and we would just wait on him. And then you would feel the tension in the room. When are we going to move on? And then God began to confront us with the questioning from his side was, move on to what? Like, I know in the room, we're like, it's been an hour and 15 minutes. When can we move on to the next thing? We have to ask ourselves, what is the next thing? The ministry of the word is important. We honor that. We honor the word, all of it. But Jesus was clear with some, with some religious people. He said, man, you search the scriptures because you think in them you find life, but I am that, that you've been searching for. Meaning, man, if we, if we approach this word without approaching it through a place of, we want the word to lead us to an encounter with the person of the word, we're missing the point of the word. It's all good and it's all real and it's truth. We, we are people of the word. Amen? Amen. We are people of the word, man. We, we have prayer sets at home where all we do is we read the word and we pray it. But I'm saying if, if, if that doesn't lead us into encountering the person of the word, then we're left with a lot of head knowledge, but no heart activity. So that's why last night when we talked about drawing near to God, you cannot talk about drawing near to God without giving him access to your heart. And there being a real like, I'm God, I'm going to be vulnerable with you. 
And so as a community, I want us to think this morning about what it would look like for us to ascend the hill of the Lord and to experience him in that place in the context of beholding the Lord. We talk a lot up in the church about the, the goal of the church is to disciple. Amen. We are called to make disciples. This is what Jesus, that's the mandate God gave us. But when we relegate discipleship to a teaching or a Bible study or going through a book, we miss it because the highest form of discipleship is beholding. Discipleship begins with beholding. If we're doing anything in the context of teaching, we should be teaching people how to behold the Lord, learn to wait and linger, and to engage with Him. And then along the way, we teach them principles. We teach them how to get into the Word, how to break down the Word, how to go deep in the Word, how to let our roots grow down. But the ultimate pinnacle thing of this is we want to grow in the knowledge of Him. This is the pinnacle of the Christian life. Many times we talk about, man, God is enthroned upon the praises of His people. He is. But we think that praise has to do with how loud we are. Clapping and shouting, no. Praise is beyond that. He says we enter his, his gates with thanksgiving, which means we begin to acknowledge what God has done, right? Thankfulness has to do with what God has done. God, I thank you for providing. God, I thank you for healing. God, I thank you for showing up and being present. This is thankfulness. But he says we enter into his courts with what? Praise. And praise doesn't have as much to do with what's happening as it does the acknowledgement of who he is. It moves us from God, I thank you for providing to, oh, you are provider. Yeah, we thank you for healing, but that acknowledgement of God as healer, for healing should be God, you are healer. You see what I'm saying? And in that place of acknowledgement, not just agreement with what he's doing, but who he is, God comes. And he rests upon a people. And it's powerful. Because when God comes into a room and he is fully acknowledged and engaged with, there's nothing that's impossible. Healings begin to manifest and break out. People begin to receive breakthrough because he has found a company of people that are not just interested with his, with his hand, but they want to touch his heart. So we see this in, in the book of Exodus 19. We, be, we see this journey of a people who they were in slavery. They were in bondage 430 plus years. And there's this cry that's being released from these people. God, will you deliver us? Will you deliver us? Will you deliver us? Will you deliver us? And God raises up Moses. You know this story? He raises up Moses. He brings Moses into Egypt. And all of a sudden, you see God break out in a way he has never broken out before. I mean, we read it like it's some cute story. No, there was fire. It was this crazy supernatural activity of God. And God leads them out of bondage into promise. And now they're on this journey that we're all on, right? We're on this journey of stepping into all that God has for us. We are a promise covenant people. If you don't have promise on the inside of you, you need to get into an altar and ask God to deposit something. Because we are a people of promise. And so as God is leading these people from bondage into freedom, into promise, there's an invitation where God is he's calling people up a mount. And he's wanting to establish them as a kind of people. Because Christianity is not about doing activity as much as it is about us becoming a kind of people. We make it all about what we do and what we don't do. And we try to make it about behavior modification. No, God is trying to produce in us a kind of people. It's a DNA. It's a lifestyle. And so he's calling these people up a mountain. And we see in Exodus 19, he's giving Moses these instructions. And he's saying, I want them to come up the mountain. But why? In verse 6 of, of chapter 19, he says, and you will be my kingdom of what? Priests. I want you to see this from the onset. He's calling a people who were in bondage and he's establishing, you are mine. And he's not just wanting to become their Lord. He is wanting to betroth himself to them. 
He is wanting to enter into intimate fellowship with them. And it's no different today. How many of you know the Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore? At the deepest part of God, what he still wants is to find a people to betroth himself to and to be intimately connected with, to marry you. Not some hirelings or some robots that just go about religious activity, but no, God, we love you. God, our hearts long for you. And in any place where we feel lovelessness, we come to the altars and we say, God, deal with me. If I find myself in a place or in a time of worship where I'm like, oh my gosh, I just don't feel anything. We've got to ask God, I need help. Man, I tell our church all the time, if you struggle with an hour of worship, you are going to hate eternity. I don't know what you think is happening there, but it's not Bible study. What are you going to do when you've made all of your life about doing for God? Whether it's worship or prophetic word or words of knowledge or healing. What are you going to do when there's no one to heal? When there's nobody to preach to, give a word of knowledge to so somebody can see us. What are you going to do when all that's left is you beholding him and being captivated by that? This is why it's better to be confronted now. With the reality that maybe, just maybe, not you, all of us, we have moments and times where we become bored with God. Our hearts become disinterested and what we need is for God to strike our hearts afresh. And hear this invitation that, that we're going up the mountain of the Lord and we're not interested in what's happening at the base of the mountain. We're not moved by that. We're not establishing our lives based off what's happening in the world because we are in the world but we are not of it. So God calls them up the mountain and he's saying to Moses, come up. And you see this weird dynamic where the people, they become fearful, right? God comes down and there's cloud and there's thundering and there's noises. And they're like, no, 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 you go up. <laughs> We're going to stay here. But Moses was clear. No, 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 God, God is testing you. He's testing you and he wants the fear of the Lord to hit you so that, here's the principal thing I want you to see, that God would come in power so that they would not fall into idolatry. That they would experience him in a supernatural way in fire, in glory, and cloud so that our hearts would be protected from not giving it to things that are lesser than him. This isn't just because we think about idolatry as a golden calf. No, this is happening. It's rampant. It may not look like a golden calf, but it could look like a 401k. It could look like a job. It could look like a, it could look, you insert whatever it is. The principal thing God is dealing with in his church today is, am I number one? Am I only? Am I only? And will you give yourself to me only? And from that place of only, I want to do so many things. This isn't that God doesn't want to use you. No, he wants to use you. He wants to establish you as a covenant people. But from that place, it has to be from a place of only. So beholding him would preserve them from idolatry and it would learn to disciple a nation. A people that would see him. I want to say law and I want you to think about that for a moment. That from the place of seeing him, even when we talk about the Lord so like frivolously sometimes, like God said and God did. No, this is God. That God would establish the fear of the Lord. That we would approach him with reverence. So he's calling them up and he's wanting to reveal himself. And he, the expectation is as God reveals himself in the context of covenant, that we would respond in a covenantal way. Now, covenant becomes disoriented in our time and in our age because we don't really honor covenant anymore. It would be so easy to just get a divorce and go, but God is still really into covenant. That's right. He is a covenantal God. When God talks about covenant, it is serious. It's real. And so the response of a God who says, I want to betroth myself to you should beckon a response from the people he's speaking to. 
It's when David says, I heard you say, come to me. And my heart responds, Psalm 27, Lord, I am coming. So God reveals himself to a people in the context of covenant. And while our experience may not be that dramatic, right? It may not be like, oh, we saw God on a mountain in a cloud. It will still require something of us. Do you hear me? His nature and character will confront us and it will make us uncomfortable. And in a world that's all about comfortability, come on, man, if I can't get something in Amazon by tonight, I'm just, I'm just not going to get it. It's just where I'm at in life. Like, if it's not prime, I don't even want to see it. I'm not interested. Because like all of our life is centered around what makes us most comfortable. How fast can I get it? It's microwave Christianity. Everything has to be fast. But God is in the process of formation. And he's building us into a people. It's one of the worst things that's happened to us. We think we've served God for two months and now we're ready to take over the world. God is into formation. God taught, God marked Paul on the road to Damascus. And what you see in Paul's life after he gets touched on the road to Damascus is he goes back home for 15 years and you don't hear nothing about him. There's a process of formation. I don't know what he did, but I would imagine it had a lot to do with, I want to get to know the God that met me as a blinding light on the road. And then from that place, I'll go and I'll touch the nations. What am I saying? You will always become what you behold. Always. Make no mistake about it. If you're not beholding the Lord, you're being discipled by whatever you're beholding. Discipleship is happening no matter what. You think discipleship only happens on Wednesday night from 6 to 7? No. There are millions that are being discipled by CNN. There are disciples of Facebook and Instagram. They're being captivated by the information, but I want you to see that God, He is raising in us an appetite for divine beauty. It seems abstract, like I don't know how to engage with that, but he is baptizing us and he is delivering us from that and he's giving us the capacity to say, God, if it's in this book, I want to experience it. I want to experience it. I don't want to settle for just a good service with a couple of 20-minute word. No, I want to wrestle with you. I want to walk with a limp. I want to be something other than that. And that's what the world needs. The world needs a company of people that are pressing in deeper. They're worshiping a little longer. They're contending until they see breakthrough. And if they don't see breakthrough, they don't blame God. They go into their inner room because they know the problem is not on God's side. The issue is never on his side. So if I don't see something happen the way I think it should happen or according to the scripture, I can be sure it's not God's problem. I'm going to lock myself back in the room and I'm going to say, God, I need you to touch me. I'm not striving. I'm not begging. I'm not a beggar. I'm a son. But God, I'm going to wrestle with you. Until I see that breakthrough happen. And we've lost that sense of wrestling, guys. The resolve. The resolve to see something all the way through. Where we, we change the subject from thing to thing to thing to thing. And we're, we're programmed in this way. We no longer have moments. I kind of like it up here. It's interesting. It's so much slower. I live in Tampa and it's like, if you're not doing something, you're just, you're just lazy. And then I'm sitting in this big old farmhouse and it's quiet. I'm like, what am I going to do with myself? (laughs) There's deer outside. But I think it's beautiful insight into God. He's inviting us into these moments where we slow down and we realize we are made in his image and he's not made in ours. (laughs) If we're honest and we peel back the layers, we serve a God who's made way more in our image than we are made in his. 
So proof, like if God speaks to you today and it doesn't happen within the next 60 days, you're like, well, it must not be God. But I was just looking through my journal, man. We're in the season of amazing promises being fulfilled. And I realized, man, I'm living today, today in promises that God gave me in like 2010. Things that God spoke to me. And I'm like, I'm going to write this down. I don't even know if this is possible. Yet God's like, look, you're living in the days I spoke to you. And that kind of reality, it restores awe and wonder. But it all starts with us going up the mountain. And so in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul is describing this new glorious covenant that we're living in today. Say today. today. So I want you to see that. What we talked about in Exodus 19, Moses going up the mountain, experiencing God. How many of you know, even after Moses went up the mountain, the people began to become disrupt. Their hearts were disrupted because Moses took so long. And what happened? They made themselves an idol and began to worship the idol. Because this is the issue we're talking about. When things don't begin to happen according to our own timeline, we find ourselves a man of God and we begin to do Christianity according to our own image. So even in the midst of that, Paul's describing the new covenant and verse seven, he says this, but if the ministry of death written and engraved on stone was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the spirit be not more glorious? So we look, we just talked about God on Mount Sinai, the glory, the fire. And Paul's saying, that's amazing. But this, this time now is even more amazing. That was amazing, man. What God and Moses, that thing was cool, but we're living in the best days ever. <laughs> For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory, this glory excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Verse 17. Now the Lord is spirit, and with the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. This is what I really want to hone in on here. But we all, say all. all. We all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. I want you to hear this again. But we all with unveiled faces, the veil's been removed. We sung about that, right? God has removed the veil. We all without separation are beholding as in a mirror the beauty of God. And as we behold the beauty of God, we make space for this. We are being transformed. This is why we tell our people all the time, listen, we are never in the presence of God and waiting on Him where something's not happening. Never. We may not feel it. It doesn't always feel fire and goosebumps, but we can be sure that as we're making space and we're pouring our adoration on Him, something on the inside is being transformed. We don't always know which way to go. Sometimes it's messy. It's ugly. We just like, oh, I don't know. We try to put our hands on it. But like when we take a step back, we're like, God, I'm just going to linger. I'm just going to wait. I know because as I wait upon you, you reveal yourself. The Bible says he's waiting to share his intimate secrets with his friends. I don't know how else to become a friend with somebody. Instead, only by spending time and lingering. So we are students of divine beauty. And I want to say to you, people will always orchestrate their lives around what they find most beautiful. We build our lives in this way. That which we find most beautiful, we build our lives around that. We orchestrate, this is, we live in Florida and we, millions upon millions of people, they come to Disney. They spend thousands, it's, it's actually crazy, thousands of dollars to come into the, the, the mouse land. 
And you just watch them. We have annual passes. You just watch them walk around. They're just in awe. She's like, oh my gosh, the kids, my daughter. I have a four-year-old. She's just captivated by Ariel. She's just like, what's happening? She has stepped into somebody else's dream and she's captivated through beholding. There's something about beauty that restructures us. And so even last year, we flew up here. We flew to Boston because my wife wanted to see the leaves change. A whole vacation around this. It's like, we're going to go see the leaves. I'm like, really? The leaves? This is what you want to do. Like, we can go anywhere. She's like, no, we're going to Boston. We want to see the leaves. And then I got here and we're just driving. We're just in awe. Because there's just something about beauty. And it's interesting because for those of you that have lived here forever, you don't probably don't even, like, they're just leaves, bro. Because the longer you're around something, the more familiar you become with it and the less you begin to value it. But we're asking God this morning to open our eyes to divine beauty. I actually even just feel led. Father, in Jesus' name, we're asking you to open our eyes to divine beauty. God, remove the veil, the distractions, the agendas, the activities. Would you open up our eyes to experience divine beauty in a new way? May we lead from this place of God. If you don't show up, we are barren and we have nothing. May we center our lives around this. We need you. We want you to remove the scales from our eyes. So the question I want to ask before we step into Revelation 4 is, what desires are setting the course for your life? Only you would know this, but there are desires. Like I said, because we have structured our lives around beauty, you may not categorize it as beauty, but if your whole life is built around the right car, the right house, the right social status, the right being seen, then you've orchestrated and you have set that as the beautiful part of your life. So what desires are setting the course for your life? And so much of Christianity has become about, about suppressing appetites. Listen, this isn't about killing appetite. It's about redirecting it. We are people of appetite. You are going to desire because we are desire. How many of you know David, the man after God's own heart, he had a desire. We talked about it yesterday. My soul pants, my soul longs. (laughs) Everything about me is crying out, God, I need you because we are people of desire. So it's not about suppressing or binding or, or, or stopping or killing appetite. It's about redirecting it to the right things. Saying, God, I need realignment. Your appetites are not the problem. They do not need to be destroyed. They need to be redirected. So the question becomes, if our appetites have to be redirected, then what do they, what, what should they be redirected to? Let's think about this. What should be the cry, the desire? What should be, we be reaching or longing for? I did three years of ministry school, four years of college, and everything taught me to redirect my desires to do things for God. The pinnacle of discipleship would have been how much are you doing, not how much is God touching you and how much are you living from that outflow. When you open up the Bible, does it still grip your heart? When you're singing worship songs, are they just words you're saying and jumping or is it really gripping you? I've just gotten to the place where if, I, if, if the words on the screen are not touching my heart, I'm just not going to sing them. 
I'm going to resolve to say, God, I need you to touch me so I can say those words with conviction because my words have power. And I don't want to be those people like Matthew 15 where we're saying words, man, their lips, they honor me, but their hearts are far from me. So we shut it down in the book of Malachi. I would that you would shut the door because you are offering me things that are not pleasing. That's scary. He's talking to the religious. I would that you would just shut it all down because what you're doing, it's not honoring me. So we just shut it down. And we say, God, I need you to reorient my appetites. I need you to help me. Is this okay? So discipleship cannot be limited to telling people what to eat, what not to eat, what to do, what not to do. Instead, we must teach them to come to the table of the Lord and to feast on him. And I believe sometimes like, well, that sounds so abstract. I actually, I actually want to take us yesterday. We, we talked about Revelation 3 a little bit. I actually want to take us to Revelation 4. And I want to open this up. And I want to ask the Lord to give us an appetite for this to anchor us into the truth of what's really going on and to reintroduce us to resurrected Jesus. Say resurrected Jesus. For many of us, the primary way we engage with God would be Jesus or Jesus. It would be Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross is beautiful and none of us would be here without that moment. None of us. We are here by grace, by the blood, by that sacrifice. Nobody is minimizing the sacrifice of the cross. We can never do that. But the primary way the Lord introduces himself at the end times is not on a cross. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus. It's not the revelation of the end times or how things are going to play on. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the way he chooses to reveal himself to the apostle John at the very end of the book is resurrected, high, seated on the throne. And I believe that in end time people, they have to be rooted and connected to this narrative. Not just what God did, but what is God doing? And where is he leading us? And how can we caught up? That's why he tells in the Colossians, Paul tells them in the book of Colossians, set your mind on heavenly things, set your mind on things above. Don't be concerned with all that's going on down here. Set your mind on things above because in the book of Ephesians, he would tell them, you are seated in the heavenly places with Christ. Your old life has passed away and now you are seated with him in heavenly places. I don't know about you. I want to know what that means. I don't want it to just be language like, oh man, yeah, we're seated. No, I want to live in a reality that doesn't matter who's president, who's governor, who's this, what's going on. No, we serve a God who is enthroned. He is powerful and he is above all. Are you alive? So I want to say no chapter in the Bible has the potential to change your life and your prayer life like Revelation 4. I submit this to you. We don't talk about it, but no chapter in the Bible has the potential to change you how you engage with God than Revelation 4, Revelation 5, because it gives us insight into what Jesus, what God is doing right now. What's happening where we're going. This is where we're going. Guys, this is real. We are, there is a real God sitting on a real throne and we are going to meet him in a very real way. So we're asking to be introduced with him, to him now in this way. So Jesus taught his disciples to pray in this way. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. This is how he taught his disciples. They asked him, they could have asked him anything. How do you heal the sick? How do you raise the dead? Jesus was, he, he was Jesus. Like everywhere Jesus went, it was just, the Bible says if, if we were to record all that he did and the books in the whole earth wouldn't be able to contain it. 
They could have asked him anything, but the one thing they asked him is, Jesus, we want, you, we want you to teach us how to pray. Because they knew there was something about his prayer life and the way he engaged with God this way that affected the way he did life this way. So he says, this is how you should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, holy. This is how he introduces us. To God, not just as Savior or as Lord, you are Abba. Our Father in heaven, you are seated and you are holy. I want you to see this. This is important. It's not just things we say. This is the frame of how we engage with God. He is our Father. He is intentional and He leans in. Who is above and He is holy. (laughs) Did you feel it when we were singing about that? You are holy. The whole room shifted. I mean, really, the whole room shifted. It's like there was... It was just a bowing low. And in Revelation 4, he is introducing us into his nature. We said in the beginning, there's no higher calling than to grow in the knowledge of God. Which means to be introduced to his nature and his person and who he is today. So I want to read this. Revelation 4. Are you ready? After these things, I looked up and behold, say behold, Behold. there was a door standing open in heaven. This is powerful. John is going into this vision. He experiences all of these churches getting addressed in powerful ways. The church of Laodicea, the church of Ephesus, he's exposing them. He's, he's condoning all he's for some of them, like the church of Philadelphia, he is blessing them. You've remained faithful. But then after all of this, there's a, all of a sudden there's a door and you, he is getting invited into God's living room. This is crazy. Like a living room tells a lot about a person, right? When you walk into a living room, you, you learn a lot about somebody. What they have on their walls, what they're watching. If you go into a living room, you are invited into the life of a person. You find out a lot about a person by their living room. What's going on within that space All of a sudden, John, he is getting this vision and he sees a door and God's like, I want you to come into my living room. I want to show you. Not just this John, to all of us. I want you to see there is a door. Jesus would say, I am the door. No man can get to the Father except through me. So there's this invitation to see God and and it's for all of us. Say all of us. And a voice which I heard like a trumpet speaking and it says, come up here. I want to show you things which must take place. And I want us to hear that this morning. Before we enter into a time of ministry and prayer, what God is saying to us as a people is, come up here. I want to show you something. Do you believe this? God has things he wants to show you about himself still. I don't care if you're 90 or 13. God has things he wants to show you. So behold, I saw a door standing open in heaven. And from the door, I heard a voice and it said, come up here. I want to show you things. And this is what God is doing in the body of Christ in this hour. He's knocking the dust off of this book and he's giving us a new perspective. Say amen. amen. This is what he's doing. He'll be like, what's the prophetic word for 2023? God wants to show you something new about himself. Not about your assignment, about your ministry, about low, about himself. And we're coming out of all these narratives, conversations, and perspective. And it's time for a throne room people to arise. I want to say this to you. It's time for a throne room people to arise. They're captivated. They're possessed. They're obsessed with this revelation for reality. I've been challenged to wake up and pray this, 
to go to bed praying this. God, I want to know you in this way. I want to hear your holy invitation. Come up here. I want to show you things. So when pressures comes and difficulties come, we become anchored to no, no, no. There is a God who is holy. He is Father and He is above. What does an anchor do, man? When you're in the middle of an ocean and you throw an anchor down, what it does is it keeps you rooted into that point. Yeah, there's movement, but at the end of the day, you can only go so far. The body of Christ has become anchored to so many things. It's all the wrong things. If COVID did anything, it exposed that. That we were anchored into all the wrong things. I know people that have walked away from God because Trump didn't become president. Because of all the prophetic words. I'm like, man, were you anchored in Father, Son, Holy Trump? Is that what's going on? I'm not against Trump. I'm not saying, I'm just saying, sometimes we become anchored in all the wrong things. Oh, the church shut down. What does it have to do with anything? The building shut down. You are the church. How are you walking this thing out? So immediately, I was in the spirit, verse 2, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and there was one who sat on the throne. And I want to declare to you this morning, there is a throne, and it is set. Say set. Set. There is a throne, and it is set. Like, this is what we're anchoring ourselves into. There is a throne, it is set, and it is above all. And it is immovable, unchangeable, and it cannot be overthrown. This is what stabilizes us. I don't care what things look like. I don't care how dark the world looks. or I don't care. There is a throne and it is set. And he is Lord and he is above all. The the church has become so, oh, pity, poor us. Look at the darkness. No, we serve a God who is above. And his throne is set. It is immovable. It is unchangeable. And this he is shifting Christianity from us on the throne to him on the throne. Oh, it's never been us on the throne. Really then, like, why do all of our messages have so much to do with us? You know how hard it is to find a worship song that is not centered around us? Why is the primary selling point for churches now we'll get you in and out in an hour? Because it's become an inconvenience to who? To us. We don't want inconvenience. We'll get you in and out as fast as we... No. Father, we take ourselves off of the throne and we make you Lord. We we reestablish your supremacy. And beloved, he is reintroducing us to his throne and his lordship. And we're coming out of humanism and self-worship songs. And we're going to sing songs about him. And we're going to get caught up in that. And there's going to be tears. And there's going to be an open heart. And God's going to come. And he is going to reintroduce himself as Lord above all. We're not there yet. Verse 3, and he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. (laughs) And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. This is amazing. Oh, it's amazing. And he who sat there was like a jasper. Like John's looking for the right words to describe what he's seeing, but he doesn't even know what to say. So he's like, it's like. The best thing he could find is like, it looks like this because he's seeing something that is so other than. It is so much bigger. We like, we think that when we look at like the, oh no, this isn't like some fairy tale. Ch- I love the chosen, but like, listen guys, when we experience this glory, it is going to be so far above. Yeah. In church, we talk so much about the cost of giving. What do you, what have we really given away? 
to earn this. A little bit of time, a little bit of money, a little bit of pride. This is what's available to us. There was a, there was someone sitting that was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne that appeared like an emerald. And he's trying his best to describe, but the best thing he could do is this. I see blinding lights. I see burning fire. I see emerald rainbow. Burning lights, blinding lights, burning fire, emerald rainbow. And I just want to break into this for just a moment to give us just a little bit of insight. Because it's not just something for us to read over. It's powerful insight into God. This blinding light, this jasper would be like, it would speak to us about what God looks like. It would be, it would be bright diamond light of God. John 1, 1 John 1, 5 says, God is light and there is no, say no. There is no darkness in him. God is light and there is no darkness in him. He is the light of the world. In Revelation 21, it says that there will be no need for the sun or the moon because when he comes back, he will be our light. Oh, oh my gosh. Another, it's like in Isaiah, when the son of man returns, the sun and the moon will be ashamed. (laughs) That's crazy. Could you imagine the sun is powerful? And when this, when this man comes forward, the son's going to be like, oh my gosh. I'm ashamed. God, God is blinding light. And I believe this is why God has had the church in a season of separation, consecration, coming aside. It's the call of Moses. When he came back down off the mountain, he said, listen, come out from among them. Come out from among them. You are a separate people. It's the call of consecration. And it's not religion. It's not striving. It's not trying to achieve. It is the nature of light. Light dispels darkness. I've never walked into a room and somebody turn on the light and the light be fighting against the darkness. But darkness is like, no, you will not know. You turn on the switch, darkness is gone. This is why it's so important to understand God is light. Wherever he is, darkness cannot remain. This is why there's no time for compromise or playing games. We're not living in the gray. God is light. And in him, there is no darkness. And according to John 15, we are in him. If you abide in me and I abide in you. So if you are in him and in him, there is no darkness. Therefore, by proxy, there is no darkness in you. I'm glad we agree. So God, his presence is light and it exposes darkness. And why this is so important is because you have to understand what God feels for you. It says he is light, but it also says that, that he, there's this stone. It would be the, it would be like a ruby color. The sardius would be this red, brilliant light, which would speak to us about, about God's passion. We sang about his, his eyes that burn with fire. Oh, this jealous, loving God whose eyes burn with fire would describe to us how God feels about us. That it's not just blinding light and, and, and bright, but no, there's passion. And Deuteronomy 4, he says, I am a consuming fire. And I want to declare to you that we do not stir up this stoic and disinterested God. We, we're in the refreshing, right? This is the most refreshing thing you could ever be possessed by in your life. That there is a God who is strong above all, but yet he is intentional and he leans in and he says, I want you. He's not indifferent. He's not stoic and he's not disinterested. I want you to catch this in your spirit. 
He's not stoic. He's not this big gray bearded guy on the throne. No, he's intentional. He says, I am a consuming fire. And had it not been for his passionate love for you, you would not be here today. It is this fire, this passion, this zeal that's looked at you and said, I've got to have them. And this should do something. I feel like it should just ravish our hearts. That we don't serve a God where we have to spend all of our lives doing things. Every other religion is about what you can do to get there. The beauty of our religion is what was done to get us there. That we give our lives because we serve this God who is zealous for us. And he sent heaven's best to ransom you. You see how this is even caught up in the Revelation 4 narrative? That John is seeing something. He says, not only is he bright and brilliant and dispels darkness, but he's passion. He's fire. He's zealous. <laughs> so the cry of this passionate lover is, I must have them. But it's not just light. It's not just fire. It says there's an emerald rainbow. I just want you to just close your eyes for just a moment. Think about this. There is a God sitting on a throne. There's bright light. And from that light, there's fiery passion. That is for you. It's not for the pastor, the apostle, the bishop. For you. And then in the midst of all of that, there is a rainbow that would speak to us about God's mercy. That this light and this fire would be filtered through his covenantal mercy. That says, I have chosen you. My gosh. I have chosen you. His blazing light and his burning fire, they filtered through this, I have chosen you. And I had made covenant. It's around him, covenant with you. The way he relates to us in his kindness, it restores us to himself. The Bible says clearly, we are enemies. All this wrecks me. We were enemies of God, but yet he reconciled us to himself. Even on this throne, he's saying, I'm bright, I'm brilliant, I'm above, I love but this mercy covenant rainbow says, I have chosen you. <sighs> this is why we come into rooms and it's so easy to worship him. Because even at the end of the book, he is seated and he's enthroned and everything about him is, is communicating, I want you. I want you. I've chosen you. I've set you apart. So the Revelation 4 picture, it beckons three responses. And this is where I'm going to land. These are the responses it beckons. God, you're beautiful. Say, God, you're beautiful. God, you're burning. God, you're merciful. Let's do it again. God, you're beautiful. God, you're burning. God, you're merciful. This is just three verses in this chapter. This chapter is wild. In verse 4, it says, around the throne, 
There were 24 thrones, and on the throne I saw 24 elders seated, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their head, which would speak to us about our heavenly posture. That not, don't, not only does Christ come and reveal himself as light, as fire, and as mercy, but he would say, in light of all that I am, I want to show you who you are. That you are seated, you are clothed in righteousness, and you are crowned. Do you see this? You are seated, you are washed, you are clothed, you are crowned. The Bible talks about four different crowns that we receive on the other side. But our heavenly posture now is in light of God being blinding light <laughs> and separating us. I love this about him. I love this. There are times where there's nothing more beautiful than when I'm around my kids and I get a moment to just pull one of them away and let them know how much I love them. Doesn't mean I love one more than the other. It's just getting that intentional time saying, I'm going to pull you aside for this woman to tell you, I love you. He is separating us through his light. And then he's pursuing us with his fire. And he's releasing his mercy. It says, your goodness and your mercy, they follow me all the days of my life. There's nowhere you can go that he is not. But in light of that, you are enthroned, redeemed, and rewarded. That's really what I want to say to you this morning. In light of Revelation 4, I want you to understand you are enthroned with him. You have been redeemed by him and he will reward you. I love what Pastor said. We made this time called the refreshing for you to come and receive. But you need to understand that he is a faithful rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We don't do what we do for reward, but it is equally foolish to not expect a reward for what we do. Because the Bible says he is a faithful rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So for those that have diligently sought, you can expect there will be reward. So I want to, I want to pray over us. If I can get, I actually want to go back into you are holy. Can we do that? And I just want to give us a chance to respond. I just want to say again, this chapter right here, we got through verse 4. It has the potential to change your life in a dramatic way. When you understand who God is and who you are in light of who He is, it will dramatically change you. So what I want to do this morning is I want to pray for us, for this revelation to hit our hearts and strike us afresh and to just respond to respond to his voice and say, God, I want to know you in this way. That there would be a baptism, a refreshing baptism of love and mercy. So can we just stand? I'm going to pray over us and we're just going to see where the Lord leads.
Father, we're here. We are here on this Saturday. We're open. We've opened up your word and we have heard the invitation like Moses to come up. Like in Revelation 4, come up. And God, we never want to stop responding to your voice. We want to respond to your leadership. We want to respond to your voice. We want to love you well. And we don't want to give our hearts to things that are lesser than all that you have. I ask that your blinding light would hit hearts, your burning fire, your covenantal mercy. It's you and only you. It's you and only you. It's you and only you. our hands and let's just ask him to come father all around this room we ask you to come and to reveal yourself in this way in the spirit of holiness in the spirit of fire we're asking you to baptize us afresh and anew with the power of the holy spirit you're holy you're holy you're holy you're holy you are set apart you are above you are healer you are provider you are steadfast you are Lord you are the father of lights you are our refuge our strength our shield you have become our song Marcus God Holy Spirit Holy Spirit Holy Spirit, blow in this place. I want to pray this morning for anyone in this room that you say, man, I need, a, I need a touch from God. I need to be refreshed. Maybe you're in a season where it's from glory to glory. You've been in glory, but you're expecting God for that next level. As you behold, it says we are transformed with unveiled faces from glory to glory through beholding. I'm going to ask you to come forward and we're going to anoint and pray. And we just want to believe God for a shifting of the season and for the refreshing of God. So if that's you, would you just come? I want to pray and partner with anybody who's like, man, I just need a refreshing touch from God. We're going to pray and lay hands. There's no pressure. We're just going to trust the Holy Spirit. We're going to trust the Holy Spirit.
So I just encourage you to just lean in and worship as they go into this. You are holy. We're just going to pray and bless you and just ask God to go deeper. So Holy Spirit, would you open the door? Would you open the door? Would you fling wide? Would you fling wide? Would you fling wide? Would you bring breakthrough? Breakthrough in Jesus' name. You're holy.